chapter 18. Anyone need a Bible? If you do, please raise your hand, and an usher will run at you with a Bible. Anyone need a Bible? I have a couple up here, Winger. Candace needs a Bible. Okay, before we begin, let's pray. Father, I just thank you for this wonderful example that we have in your word of living by faith. And, and Lord, how we want to imitate this life. The life that we're going to read about tonight, Hezekiah. And Father, we know that your word says without faith it's impossible to please you how we want to please you, but how our flesh is weak. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. But Lord, we ask for your grace. And even as we hide your word in our heart this evening, we pray that we can imitate uh, this life that we'll, uh, we'll, we'll read about tonight, which we know, Lord, is only a foreshadowing of the life of Christ who was faithful, Lord, faithful to the cross for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Second Kings chapter 18. Definitely one of my favorite stories in the Bible. It just really gets me so psyched up every time I read this story. It, it, it's one of those things, it's like, uh, it's like that story of Joseph and his brothers coming to Egypt. Every single time you, you read it, it just, it's just so encouraging. And it's such a heavy story, such a... Um, such a pivotal point in the, the life of the nation of Judah. So we uh, left off last time uh, watching the northern kingdom being carried away uh, into captivity. Uh, the ten northern tribes uh, are no longer seen. They uh, remember their, David's, uh, under David's son Rehoboam, there was a split in the kingdom. Uh, 931 B.C., uh, Jeroboam took ten tribes with him up to the north to set up his own sort of religious uh, system, which was sort of a, a watered-down, corrupted version of uh, the worship of Jehovah. And for uh, 210 years, uh, there were a series of kings up there. Uh, they, uh, not a single one of them was faithful to the Lord. Uh, for 210 years, uh, the, but they weren't faithful to the Lord, but as the Bible says, even when we're faithless, he is faithful. He sent up prophets up to Israel, some of the most famous prophets, uh, the ones that are literally household names, Elijah, Elisha, uh, uh, Jonah, Amos, Hosea, all went up to the north, all had a ministry that really... Uh, in the world's eyes, would be characterized as unsuccessful, a failure, because the uh, nation of, of, of Israel in the north never turned around. And so the only trace left uh, are the Samaritans in the north, uh, who, uh, it's, uh, Samaritans, and, and many whom have no, uh, have no trace or ancestry uh, that is Jewish at all, because the the uh, Assyrians brought in from their different nations back into northern Israel and the area er er Samaria, just people who had no Jewish descent at all. And it says uh, that after they were, uh, after God was uh, afflicting the north, they brought in a priest of Israel, uh, and he taught them about the ways of. Jehovah, but it was really a watered-down version of it. Uh, and so it says in verse 33 that the, the Samaritans in the north, they feared the Lord, this is chapter 17, yet they served their own gods. And so how, how that is such a characterization of so many people today. They had a fear of the Lord. It's almost like a superstition. Uh, that the, the, They know there's a God, they fear God, but... They, uh, they serve their own gods. And so that's really all that we're left with there in the north. But the kings down in south and Judah and Benjamin would reign for another 150 years. Some of them, um, as you will see, 
They grow to be quite powerful kings, uh, some of them very righteous and just wonderful to read about. One example, Hezekiah, verse 1, chapter 18. Now it came to, to pass uh, in the third year of Hosea, the son of Elah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abai, the daughter of Zechariah. So again, as we've mentioned in the past, when you hear uh, the mother's name mentioned, this was not characteristic of Jewish genealogies. It means that she's the reason uh, for uh, this man, Hezekiah. She grew him up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Uh, and so uh, mothers, just such a, a wonderful heritage and calling. And, uh, you know, only God knows the, the amount of influence they have. I mean, you can imagine here, God raises up this king, Hezekiah, and all the fruit that he was going to bear for really hundreds of, of years, even up to today, uh, because of Uh, her being faithful to her calling. In verse 3 it says, And he did uh, what was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father David had done. He removed the high places and broke the sacred pillars. He cut down the wooden image and broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days the children of Israel burned incense to it and called it Nehushtan. He trusted in the Lord of Israel so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor who were before him. For he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord had commanded Moses. And the Lord was with him. He prospered wherever he went. He rebelled against the king of Syria and did not serve him. King of Syria, type of Satan, as we will see. Uh, and he just uh, rebelled against him. He said, no more uh, are we serving you. Because uh, Judah in the south, as well as what Israel had been in the north, they were like a vassal. They were almost like a territory. They had become uh, of Assyria. And he said, no more. This is God's, this is God's soil. This is God's country. We're not going to serve you anymore. And verse 8, he subdued the Philistines as far as Gaza and its territory from what? from watchtower to fortified city. And so uh, Hezekiah, uh, one of the most outstanding examples um, of just a godly leader uh, in, the, uh, in the Old Testament. You know, we read about some of these kings, and some of them were really wonderful kings, like in chapter 14, Amaziah, who's a good king, but it says, yet not, chapter 14, yet not like his father David. And so there was something missing there. And what did we study in chapter 14? What was missing? He didn't have that heart for God. He wasn't after the heart of God. I don't know if you remember uh, that story of Amaziah, but he went up and he went into a war that he had no business being in, and he was just crushed. And why? He didn't have the heart like David did. What, what was David's heart like? Listen to the Lord. He was familiar with that still, small voice of the Lord. And that was the difference between Amaziah and David. Well, here you have another king, Hezekiah. Doesn't make that qualification. Doesn't say, but not like his father David. Uh, no, actually, it says that uh, he trusted in the Lord, verse 5, so that after him there was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor were before him. So uh, this is one guy you need to pay attention to, this guy Hezekiah, in a big, big way. Now, we'll see. He's, he's not perfect by any means. Uh, but um, neither is anyone and so, uh, other than Jesus. So it says he removed the high places and he cut down the groves. And so the high places, when you see that in the Old Testament, those were places where, uh, which were used by the pagan nations that preceded Israel. And, you know, they used to hang out there and, and, and do, like, superstitious things and stuff like that and, and, and you know, worship God. Same places, same thing with uh, the groves. And, but here's what's important, that he did not stop at sort of an outward form of, of repentance. He didn't stop at just 
you know, that, that outward form. It, it was a thing that really was in his heart. And how do, you, how do we know that? Well, verse 4, it says that he, he took down the bronze serpent and broke it in pieces. And broke it in pieces. Now, remember what the bronze serpent was. Uh, this thing had been preserved for 700 years. Uh, it was uh, Numbers chapter 21. The Israelites began to murmur against the Lord and, and say things like, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no food here. And our soul loathes this worthless bread. Uh, let me tell you, when, when, when a child of God begins to declare just outwardly with no inhibition, I just loathe this thing that God has given me, you know there's judgment around the corner. You know there's going to be a bunch of snakes uh, coming into their life, and, or in your life, if this is uh, you or me. And uh, so God sent fiery serpents. People started uh, dying like flies. And uh, what, what happened? God had Moses uh, put a snake on a pole, and anyone who looked at the pole, uh, was, who looked at the serpent, actually, was healed. So we know in John chapter 3 that Jesus talks about this very thing, that just as the serpent was raised in the desert and people who looked to the serpent were healed, so when the Son of Man is lifted up, all men will be drawn to him. And so that was a foreshadowing of, uh, of what would happen with, with Jesus. Jesus was what? He was placed on a pole. And, and the, the serpent was uh, put on a, a brass pole, and the brass is always the uh, representative of judgment. And again, those who looked to that serpent lived, but those who thought, oh, that's just baloney. I mean, who ever heard of something so ridiculous? I was looking at a serpent. Whoever heard of something so ridiculous, you know, if someone dies on a cross, you know, you look to him and you're saved. And, well, you know, uh, they died. Uh, but, but what happened is that, like so many things, this began, this bronze serpent, uh, it turned into an idol. People started to burn incense to it, it says in verse 4. And, and he broke it up, and you can only imagine the resistance. And this is why I say this, this is definitely, this is a heart thing. This is not only an outward form of, uh, of, of cleaning up the land. You know, get, a, get rid of all the pornography, get rid of all the, uh, the strip joints. Uh, this is, which is, I have no issue with. Please, I hope we do that. But this was also an issue of his heart. Because he was willing to go against you. You can imagine the resistance. But what are you talking about breaking up? This is what Moses used. You can't get rid of that. You can't destroy that. I mean, you know, that, that's like, you know, taking the Shroud of Turin or something and, and burning it up. Well, you know, if people are burning incense to it, uh, maybe that's what we should do. And so uh, he, he, this was really, uh, uh, this was a zeal accompanied by knowledge, accompanied by um, a heart uh, for the Lord. Uh, you know, I've never been to Israel. I hope to go someday, but it does concern me uh, some of the, you know, some, the same attitude uh, sometimes of, of people going over to Israel. You know, you see the Apostle Peter's house, you see Jesus' tomb, you see his birthplace, and uh, somehow there's something different when you walk around or you touch Jesus' tomb or something. But, you know, again, tremendous distraction, that type of thing, between a man, woman, and a woman in their relationship with the Lord. Uh, and so buildings are buildings, and uh, as much as we want to put tremendous value in them. Uh, but why did Hezekiah prosper? Verse 6, for he held fast. He held fast to the Lord. I love that because on Sunday morning we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where it says, Paul, verse 1 and 2 says, Paul said, I declare to you the gospel in which you receive, in which you hold fast to. Uh, and so that's why he prospered. It says he did not depart from following him, verse 6, but kept his commands, which the Lord had commanded Moses. And so uh, we see uh, what, was, what was it that made him prosper. Uh, he held fast, what, to the word of God. Psalm 1, blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. 
You shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in due season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. So brothers and sisters, secret of prosperity, staying in the word. Joshua 1.8, the book of the law, uh, the Lord said to, to Joshua, shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate upon it a day and night that you may observe according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. John 15, Jesus, I am the vine, he who abides in me, and my word in him, the same, bringeth forth much fruit. So uh, what's the, why did Hezekiah prosper? It was the word of God. So <clears throat> verse 9, now it came to pass in the fourth year of King Hezekiah, which was the seventh year of Hosea, the son of Elah, king of Israel, that Shalmaneser, king of uh, Assyria, came up against Samaria and besieged it. Now, this is, I think, important that Hezekiah was reigning when he saw the north being completely slaughtered. He saw that. And you can only imagine the effect that that had on him to see his cousins uh, being destroyed uh, up in the north. So, in verse... 13, it says, In the 14th year of King Isaiah, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and took them. So you can, you know, Hezekiah's thinking, wow, you know, I just saw this happen to the kings and the, the king of the north, they get slaughtered. Now they're coming against me. What does he do? Verse 14, Then king, uh, Hezekiah, king of Judah, sent to the king of Assyria at Lachish, saying, I have done wrong. Turn away from me. Whatever you impose upon me, I will pay. And the king of Assyria, Ses Hezekiah, king of Judah, 300 talents of silver, 30 talents of gold. So Hezekiah uh, gave him all the silver that was found in the house of the Lord and the treasuries of the king's house. At that time, Hezekiah stripped the gold from the doors of the temple of the Lord and from the pillars which Hezekiah, king of Judah, had overlaid and gave it to the king of Assyria. So one ton of gold, 11 tons of silver, and he does it by basically plundering the temple. The definite failure on his part. It's sin. And, you know, we're just going to find out in just a little bit. He didn't have to do this. But, you know, this is so encouraging to me. Because why? Because we, we've already heard he was a righteous man. Before, you know, after him, there was no one as righteous. Before him, there was no one as righteous. And that, you know, gives encouragement to me. Because I read this, this is an awfully big failure. But it gives encouragement to me that, that um, you know, despite having a failure in my life or multiple failures, I can still go on and have this kind of mark on my life by the Lord. That, no, he was one who trusted. He had a heart for him. So David had his Bathsheba. But Hezekiah had his Sennacherib, and, uh, and, and but he had he again he had a heart for the Lord, and that's and, and we're going to go right inside his heart later on. Uh, but, and it's, but to me, this explains volumes about what the Lord's heart is for us. Yeah, he you know we need to do what is right in his eyes. We need to get rid of the whatever, the strip joints and the porn and all the outward forms. But God's concerned about our heart supremely. And so, what happens whenever we seek to appease the enemy? Whenever we make a pact with the devil? It's going to come back for our head. And that's exactly what happens. Verse 17, the king of Assyria sent to Tartan the... the Rabsaris and the Rabshakeh from Lachish with a great army against Jerusalem to King Hezekiah. So didn't work for very long. He bribed him, worked for a few years, but then he comes back with a great army. He wanted Jerusalem. And they went up and came to Jerusalem. When they had come up, they went and stood by the aqueduct from the upper pool, which was on the highway to the Fuller's Field. And so this was an army of 200,000. 
troops, and they're right outside of Jerusalem. Jerusalem is about 50,000 people or 60,000, something like that. You can only imagine the fear, the terror. Now, we can't really relate to this. I mean, the, we've never really had, other than the possible exception of September 11th, which really is, is not the equivalent of a land army entering into the United States and, and showing up at our borders. We've never had that experience. But let me tell you, you know, these Assyrians, they showed no mercy. And, you know, why did Jonah not want to go to Nineveh? Well, it's because the Assyrians uh, were just, just, their cruelty was unparalleled. In the history of the world, they would impale people and stick them off in, in the, you know, in the uh, front of the city. If you don't know what impale means, I'm not going to describe it. Go look it up in the dictionary or ask Pastor Scott. Uh, but they, then they would put their uh, heads. They would put their heads on a pole. They, they, when remember when we talked talked about how Assyria they repopulated uh, areas. So they would take their the people who they didn't kill. They would take them and move them to someone else. But they would put hooks in their noses, and they would lead them back to to the place where they were going. They would skin them alive. Their enemies. If an Assyrian judge was found taking bribes. They would reupholster judges' chairs with the previous judge's skin, lest a judge would, you know, so, you know, when you're sitting in, in some, on someone's skin who got skinned because he took a bribe, you're a little bit more unwilling to take another bribe. But this is what the, Assy- uh, the Assyrians were like, and um, can, you can only imagine being Hezekiah. He just saw his cousins up in the north slaughtered because of these people, and now they're coming to take him. Now they're coming to take him. And so these uh, representatives of Sennacherib, by the way, the, a lot of this is chronicled in a, a large stone, a tablet that's in the British Museum, and it's chronicled from the perspective of Sennacherib. So yet another uh, archaeological uh, supporting document for the Old Testament. I'll talk a little bit about that later. But it says, Say now to Hezekiah, verse 19, Thus says the great king, the king of Assyria, What confidence is this in which you trust? Now, as I go through this, by the way, I mean, this is exactly how Satan, the enemy of your souls, will, will come against you. The Bible says, Paul says, Don't, we should not be unaware of Satan's schemes. This is how Satan comes against you. Verse 20, you speak of having plans and power for war, but they are mere words. And in whom do you trust that you rebel against me? Now look, you are trusting in the staff of this broken reed, Egypt, of which if a man leans, it will go into his hand and pierce it. So is Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all who trust in him. So apparently... Uh, they were of the view that Hezekiah was going to look to Egypt for help. Verse 22, But if you say to me, We trust in the Lord our God, is it not he whose high places and whose altars Hezekiah has taken away and said to Judah and Jerusalem, You shall worship before this altar in Jerusalem? Now, verse 22, real interesting verse there. The guy doesn't know what he's talking about. How often are you uh, talking with someone about the Lord or you, you, you hear, you know, you're reading about someone who's some religious person or person attacking, uh, attacking uh, evangelical Christianity in the, a magazine or something, and they say something which like, is totally not true about the Bible or something. He, he says here, to the people, because remember, all the, the people are listening to this. And he says, if you say to me, we trust in the Lord our God, is it not he whose high places that Hezekiah has taken away? Well, Hezekiah took them away because they were against God's, God's own word by existing in the first place. 
But this, this Assyrian king doesn't realize that. All he knew is he had seen the people of Israel go to these high places and worship there. And then Hezekiah comes and destroys them and says, no, you have to worship in Jerusalem like the Word of God says. And, but, but this enemy, just looking at it from afar, is, is completely uh, not understanding uh, the Word of God. Time Magazine had an article uh, a number of years ago in which... Uh, one of these people, they're a dime a dozen, they're so easy to find, some guy from the Jesus Seminar or something, explaining why it was so absurd uh, that Christians took a literal interpretation of the Bible and how wrong it was, and actually wrote this article. This speaks volumes, by the way, about uh, Time Magazine, that they would ever uh, let this article uh, appear. Uh, Their editors uh, apparently did not know much about the Word of God because this guy started saying, for example... Uh, it says in, uh, in Genesis that Adam ate an apple. Well, everyone knows that uh, there are no apples in the Tigris-Euphrates region. This is like some scholar hired by Time Magazine. Anyone have a problem with that statement? Anyone? There's no apple. <laughs> apple was never mentioned. That was, uh, who knows who, who, uh, who, who made that up? Same person as old Mother Hubbard. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, but, but uh, uh, you know, that is an example of so many people who come against uh, uh, Christianity. They don't even know what they're talking about. Uh, and the American atheistic press had c- c- come out with this, the X-rated Bible. Anyone ever hear of the X-rated Bible? And so they came out with the X-rated Bible. This is true about all the sexual behavior in the Bible and how hypocritical Christians are for being prudes uh, and, you know, speaking out against premarital sex and things like that because, you know, here in uh, the... uh, here in the Bible, there's so many things that uh, are clearly meet the definition of pornography that the U.S. Supreme Court uh, has uh, has laid out: uh, incest, rape, homosexuality, adultery, sadomasochism, fornication. All in the Bible. I don't dispute that. I mean, it's all there. Uh, but um, you know, so they published this book as sort of an attack on Christianity, not realizing that the Bible discusses all these things because therein is death. The Bible's warning us about those things. Pornography is, is published, why? To arouse uh, the carnal nature of men and women. Uh, but, but again, it's the same sort of lack, under, lack of understanding uh, from afar of the Word of God. And so here you have... Uh, Sennacherib saying, why would you follow this guy? He's just destroyed all the uh, Jehovah's altars. Well, no kidding. Uh, That's because uh, they were abominable to the Lord, as you see in his word. And so in verse 23, it says, now therefore I urge you, give a pledge to my master, the king of Assyria, and I will give you 2,000 horses if you are able on your part to put riders on them. So he's uh, tempting them, but he's insulting them at the same time, questioning whether uh, they would even have the guts to put riders on them. How then will you repel one captain of the least of my master's servants and put your trust in Egypt for chariots and horsemen? Have I now come up without the Lord against this place to destroy it? The Lord said to me, go up against is, uh, uh, this land and destroy it. And so just underline that in your Bible because so often uh, you, when you are tempted, Satan will quote the, Lord, the word of God or Satan will claim to be speaking for God. Uh, or, you know, when you hear this person and that saying, God told me this and God told me that, uh, doesn't necessarily mean that you should put any credence in it at all. In fact, uh, it may be the really the Satan speaking through him as uh, was the case here. Uh, Satan misrepresenting God. He says, you know, God told me to come up against you. He told me that. And so I, I, I don't want you to forget that these are the very people who had just seen their, their cousins up in the north slaughtered. So the temptation is just to believe it. The temptation is to say, well, you know, wow, you know, happened up north and Maybe the Lord did tell uh, him to, to, to do this. And, 
And so uh, this is, these are the, the very lies that Satan will use against you. Uh, he will, he will, he will. Uh, but don't uh, buy into it just because uh, someone said, well, the Lord uh, told me. Uh, verse 31, it says, do not listen. Remember, they're still, they're still talking to the Israelites, and there's people sort of hanging, up on the, uh, hanging out on the wall of Jerusalem, and they're talking in the hearing of all of them. They were talking in Hebrew, verse 21, uh, verse 28 says. They knew Hebrew. And they're saying in verse 31, Do not listen to Hezekiah. For thus says the king of Assyria, Make peace with me by a present and come out to me. And every one of you eat from his own vine and every one of you his own fig tree and every one of you drink the waters of his own cistern until I come and take you away to a land uh, like your own land, a land of grain and new wine, a land of bread and vineyards, a land of olive groves and honey, that you may live and not die. But do not listen to Hezekiah, lest he persuade you, saying, The Lord will deliver us. Has any of the gods of the nations at all delivered its hand from the hand of the, uh, the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and Arphad? Where are the gods of... Savavram and Hina and Eva. Indeed, they have delivered, uh, have they delivered Samaria from my hand? And so this has got to be really tough listening to this because they're saying, look, Hezekiah is telling you the Lord's going to deliver Jerusalem. Come on. Did the God of Samaria deliver them? That was the same God. <laughs> and then you list all the, these other places and so just... Such a direct attack by Satan. But you know, uh, this is the attack that he always uses. He used the same uh, one in the Garden of Eden. What was his, his argument here, uh, Sennacherib's, to the people of Jerusalem? If you come to our side, we'll prosper you. It says, I'll give you a well, a vine, and a fig tree, and you'll be taken care of. The second thing is, you're not going to die. You will die if you don't do what I say, but you're not going to die if you follow me. And third uh, is he planted doubt. He says, what about the God of Samaria? That was their God. And so plants doubt in their mind. Same thing in the garden. What did uh, uh, Satan say to Eve? But in the day um, that you eat the fruit, not the apple, the fruit, you will be like God. In other words, you'll prosper. The day that you rebel... The day that you give in to me, you will prosper. Same thing Sennacherib said. What's the second thing Satan said? You will surely not die if you take of this fruit. What's the third thing he says? Has God really said you shall not eat from this tree? So Satan always uses those three things. He just changes the face of it um, all the time. You know, that's his playbook, those, uh, th- uh, those three things. You know, if you cheat on this thing, you'll prosper. And you won't get hurt by doing that. And by the way, why is all this suffering in Africa? Surely there's not a God. And so it's that constant uh, playbook that uh, he is using. Now, we, ha- we can learn something here about how to answer Satan or how to respond to Satan. I, I really love this verse, verse 36. It says, but the people held their peace and answered him not a word. I love that. One of the reasons I love that, by the way, is it, go, it, it shows you what kind of man Hezekiah was. He was a righteous man. They trusted him. But also says they're trusting in the Lord. It says, but the people held their peace and answered him not a word, for the king's commandment was, do not answer. So are you going to obey the king's command? To not compromise yourself, to live pure, to honor your marriage, to, to, to love your neighbor in spite of the fact that they have this incredibly loud party till 1 a.m., on a Friday night, like happened to me last Friday. 
and they're right next to you, 10 feet away. I'll stop. But uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, but, but are, are you going to honor the command um, uh, of the Lord? It says, for the king's commandment was do not answer him. And again, I mean, these are the Assyrians. These are the people who, man, you don't obey them. They impale you. They skin you. They put, or, or, or if you happen to escape death, they put a hook in your nose and carry you back to Assyria. So, I mean, this is not an example for you and me of faith in the Lord. I don't know what is. It says, they answered him not a word, for the king's commandment was, do not answer him. It says, verse 37, then Elakim, son of Hilkiah, who was over the household of Shebna, the scribe, and Joah, the, the son of Asaph, their quarter, came to Hezekiah with their clothes torn and told him the word of Rabshakeh. So Rabshakeh was this, this uh, liaison for the king of Assyria. Verse 1, chapter 19. And so it was when King Hezekiah heard it that he tore his clothes, covered himself with sackcloth, and went into the house of the Lord. Here's a solution. When the enemy is coming in like a flood, this is what you do. You just you know, tear your clothes or whatever the modern-day equivalent is, and you go to God, you go to the house of the Lord. And, and you know, sometimes uh, that's the hardest place to go. I was just speaking with the brothers, one of the brothers this morning, and he was just sharing. Was, there's so much stuff going on in his life. It's just, it took everything that was in him to just come to God and just, just basically, like Hezekiah, confess to the Lord, you know, you're the answer. Sometimes it's the harsh thing to do when, when you know, the enemy's coming in like, like a flood. It's just to admit the truth, which is, Lord, only you can do something about this. And it's to, to lay our, all our pride aside and say, only you, Lord. And, you know, morning devotions, home fellowships, women's Bible study, the women's Bible study, whatever. I mean, sometimes it's the hardest thing to go to. But, but you know, it's so important that, that we die to our flesh. Paul says, we who are alive are, always be, alive are always being given over to death. The life of Jesus will be revealed in our mortal body. So it's so important that we do that and we, we come to, uh, to the house of the Lord and, and, we, and, we're, and we just seek the Lord. And so Hezekiah, he you know, covers himself with a sackcloth and he goes to the house of the Lord. In verse 2, it says that he sent to Isaiah. And they tell Isaiah in verse 3 that this day is a day of trouble and rebuke and blasphemy for the children of Israel have come to birth, but there's no strength to bring them forth. So they knew that they, had, they didn't have any chance against Hezekiah. Verse 4, And it may be that the Lord your God will hear all the words of the uh, Rabshakeh, whom his master the king of Assyria is sent to reproach the living God and will rebuke the words which the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, lift up your prayer for the remnant that is left. And so they, they go to, uh, to Isaiah and ask him to pray. Verse 6, And then Isaiah said to them, Thus you shall say to your master, Thus says the Lord, Do not be afraid of the words which you have heard, and with the servants of the king of Assyria they have blasphemed me. Surely I will send a spirit upon him, and he shall hear a rumor and return to his own land, and I will cause him to fall by the sword in his own land. And so, but it doesn't end there. Is that me? Okay. Maybe, it was, maybe a drop of water fell on it. So he hears from the Lord here. Hezekiah hears from the Lord that, uh, that you know, don't be afraid but it doesn't end there. It doesn't end there. The threats from Assyria. And so oftentimes, this is how it, you know, how it works. We'll go to the Lord. We'll cry out to the Lord. The Lord will give us a peace in our heart. We'll go right back out 
and we'll, into the same overwhelming trial. And this is what is, it happens right here to, uh, to Hezekiah because it says, Rabshakeh returned and found the king of Syria warring against Libna. And then the king heard concerning uh, Ethiopia, look, he has come out to make war with you. So again, he sent messengers to Hezekiah. And in verse 10, it says, thus you shall speak to Hezekiah. Do not let your God in whom you trust deceive you, saying Jerusalem shall not be given into the hand of the king. Look, you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all the lands by utterly destroying them, and you shall be delivered? And so this is just so typical uh, of how the enemy wars against us, and even after we've heard from the Lord. So even after you've heard a word of the Lord, you've gone to the word of God, God's done a work in your heart, there's peace there. Don't expect for Satan to relent. Don't expect him to relent. Again, verse 12, have the gods of the nations delivered those whom my fathers have destroyed, Gozan, Haran, Rezav, and the people of Eden who were in Telesar? And so he just, again, he's just making these threats. And verse 14, it says, Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of his messengers. And man, this was too much. And it says, he went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. Then Hezekiah prayed before the Lord. You see, here, this is really where he shakes up the, the heavens here. Instead of going to Isaiah and say, Isaiah, you pray. Hezekiah himself goes to the house of the Lord. And, you know, you, you can only imagine what it's like to be the king with all the pomp and circumstance that goes along with being a king and being willing to humble himself uh, like he does here. So he spreads out this letter before the Lord, one of the most wonderful uh, prayers of the Bible here. O Lord, verse 15 of Israel, God of Israel, the one whom dwells between the cherubim, you are God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made the heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. And hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to reproach the living God. Truly, Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste the nations and their lands and have cast their gods into the fire. For they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they destroyed them. But now, therefore, O Lord God, I pray, save us from his hands that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are the Lord God, you alone. This wonderful, wonderful uh, prayer there. And so, he prays the Lord, he shakes up the heaven. I tell you, when you cry out to the Lord, when you humble yourself like this, you're, there's just, there's a hundred percent certainty that the Lord has heard, and He, His hand will move. Verse twenty says, "Then, then Isaiah, the son of Amoz, sent to Hezekiah, saying, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, because you have prayed to me.' See, this time He Himself prayed to Him <coughs> against Sennacherib, king of Assyria. I have heard, and this is the word which the Lord has spoken concerning Him." The virgin, the daughter of Zion, has despised you, laughed you to scorn. The daughter of Jerusalem has shaken her head behind your back. So remember, this is what they're telling this guy. This is telling this king, Sennacherib. They're sending a messenger, and this is what they're saying. It says, whom you have reproached and uh, whom have you reproached and blasphemed? Against whom have you raised your voice and lifted up your eyes on high? Against the Holy One of Israel. By your messengers you have reproached the Lord and said, by the multitude of my chariots, I have come up to the height of the mountains, to the limits of Lebanon. I will cut down all its tall cedars and its choice cypress trees. I will enter the extremity of its borders to its fruitful forest. I have dug in uh, uh, drunk strange water, and with the soles of my feet, I have dried up all the brooks of defense. So, uh, of course, like any person not trusting in the Lord, it was all about him, just like Nebuchadnezzar. I have done this. I have done that. In, in verse 25, though, it says, uh, Did you not hear long ago how I made it from ancient times that I formed it? And he's saying, Sennacherib, you didn't. 
You weren't, you're not the victor here. You're not the ruler of the earth. I am. Uh, in verse 25, middle of the verse there, now I have brought it to pass that you should be for crushing fortified cities into heaps of ruins. So he's saying the only reason, Snacherib, that you, the, you have defeated all these cities is that I have brought it to pass. I have used you to crush these cities. Verse 26, therefore their inhabitants had little power. They were dismayed and confounded. They were as grass of the field and the green herb as to the grass on the housetops and grain blighted before is grown. But I know your dwelling place. You're coming in and you're coming. You're going out and you're coming in and your rage against me. Because your rage against me and your tumult have come up to my ears. Therefore, I will put my hook in your nose and my bridle in your lips. And I will turn you back by the way which you came. And so the very way that they carried their prisoners back to Assyria, the Lord was going to do to him. Verse 29 says, You shall eat this year such as grows of itself, and in the second year what springs from the same, also in the third year sow and reap, plant the vineyards and eat them. And the remnant who have escaped the house of Judah shall again take a root downward and bear fruit upward, for out of Jerusalem shall go a remnant. This is the, the, the line of the Messiah here. And those who escape from Mount Zion, the zeal of the Lord of, of hosts, will do this. So verses 29 through 31 are a prophecy of what's going to happen to Jerusalem. It'll be preserved. Verse 32 says, Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into the city nor shoot an arrow there. So not even an arrow. I mean, you can imagine 200,000 men out there, right outside the wall. And it's, Isaiah says, not even an arrow will be shot. Nor come before it with shield, nor, bu- nor build a siege mound against it. Uh, by the, but by the way he came, by the same he shall return, and he shall not come into this city, says the Lord. For I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. And so... This is just a picture of the protection that we have in Christ. God withholds judgment for us. Why? Because of the blood of Jesus over um, our heads. It's not because of anything we have done, but but for, uh, for God's sake and for a greater than David's sake, that is Jesus' sake. All the promises. You know, God made promises to David to preserve that line, the line of the Messiah. And so uh, God says here, for my servant David's sake, I'll preserve you. But, uh, you, know, you know, it's just like Jesus. Uh, God had made ma- uh, many promises to Jesus, you know, to save, to save many of the elect through him. And so that's how we're saved. And so God... Um, you notice here that, uh, he, you know, when Sennacherib was coming against Israel, you know, not one time did he blaspheme Jehovah. Not one, th- not one time did he express any anger at the Lord. But yet you see here that God says to him, your anger rages against me. And so Sennacherib learns that by attacking the people of God, he's attacking God himself. I mean, it's like when, when uh, Jesus said to Paul, you know, why are you persecuting me? And, and, and what do you mean me? I never persecuted you, Jesus. I never did anything to you. Well, yes, you have. When you were killing my children, you were killing me. And if, you know, if someone wants to attack my kids... Uh, you know, to hassle or intimidate them. I, I will fiercely and fervently protect them from the attacks uh, of other people. And, and, you know, God knows who we are, and he'll do the same thing uh, with us. And by the way, let this be a lesson here against us uh, attacking uh, people in other churches. Because, you know, when you're attacking and you're criticizing uh, other churches, you're attacking the bride of Christ. Verse 35 says, And it came to pass on a certain night that the angel of the Lord went out and killed in the camp of the Assyrians 185,000. 
And when people arose early in the morning, there were all the corpses, all dead. So 200,000 or 185,000 outside of Jerusalem, not an arrow is shot, not a single one. Verse 36, so Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went away, returned home, and remained at Nineveh. Now it came to pass as he was worshiping in the temple of Nisroch, his god, that his sons Adramelech and Sherezar struck him down with a sword, and they escaped into the land of Ararat. Then Asher Hayden, his son, reigned in his place. They struck him down because they were jealous that uh, the uh, one of his other sons had been given sort of the been tapped to be the next king. And so what an enormously encouraging example of a man and a people who are living by faith. I mean, we complain about our troubles. How do you like to have 200,000 impalers right outside the city wall, who have just completely wiped out every single other nation they've come against. But just it's just such a demonstration of what happens when we trust in the word of the Lord, trust in the Lord with all our heart, lean not on our own understanding, in all our ways acknowledging him, he'll direct our path. So if, we, if they were living by their own understanding, it would have been, we need to just give up now. They trusted in the Lord with all their heart, and they obeyed the king's command. And what happens? God just wipes out their uh, enemies. Uh, Israel is another. I mean, Judah exists for the, the line, the kingdom there, for another 150 years before they were exiled to, to Babylon. And there would be many other kings after this who were also righteous kings, wonderful examples, of people who followed God because of the faith of, of this one man and the people there who were living in Jerusalem. So just a wonderful, wonderful encouragement. You know, you too are carrying God's name with you. You're people of the name, the Bible says. You've given your life to Christ, the name of Jesus. You're his people. You're the apple of his eye. And you're representing his kingdom. And for his namesake, he'll defend you. So trust in him. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Okay, let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this example, Lord. And Lord, how our flesh wants to, our flesh brittles sometimes at just exercising faith in our life, Lord, when we see whatever the, whoever the impaler is outside our door. Tempting us to compromise our life. Promising us that we'll live. That we will not die we will not have consequences even if we compromise. Planting seeds of doubt. Lord, what an encouragement it is that we can obey the king's command just to abide in you, Lord Jesus. Simply abide, praying in the spirit, as we were reading this morning in Jude, just looking to the mercy, your mercy, the hand of you, Lord Jesus, in our life. We thank you for that, that assurance, that promise, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. For those of you who would like to come, uh, 